Good morning. Good to see you this morning. And again, good to hear you this morning. Um, if you are a guest of ours, we are so honored that you chose to be with us today here at Bay Area. I saw Liz out in the lobby and she said, Tim, I'm ready for some good news today. And I said, well, I'm ready to share some good news today. So if you're looking for good news, you are in the right place this morning. But I want to start with a story. Uh, a man and his wife are laying in bed late one night and they've been awake since they got in bed because the neighbors uh, next door, their dogs were in the neighbor's yard barking incessantly. And they just would not stop barking. They were barking for hours. And finally the husband said, I can't take it anymore. He gets out of bed, he goes downstairs. The wife hears him go out in the backyard. A little bit later he comes back up into the bedroom, but the dogs are barking louder than ever. And she said, what did you do down there? He said, I went over to the neighbor's yard and I brought his dogs into our yard. Let's see how they like it now. You know, sometimes we think we're solving a problem when we're not really solving a problem. Sometimes we think we're teaching someone a lesson when we're not really teaching someone a lesson. Maybe it's, we're the ones that is getting taught the lesson. We are on Sunday of our three-day series. We have chosen to, to take a look at the Friday, the Saturday, and the Sunday, what I think are the three most significant days of the Jesus story. And we've called this sermon series, Three Days That Changed the World. I did a Google search, looking for things that claim to have changed the world. There are a lot of things that make the claim that it's changed the world. Let me share a couple with you. There's a book about gunpowder the explosive that changed the world. There's a book about the Mayflower, the voyage that changed the world. There is a book about the Model T Ford, the car that changed the world. There's some books about glass, the substance that changed the world. How about this one? Cod. The story of the fish that changed the world. I am not making this up. One more. Mauve. How one man invented a color that, you got it, changed the world. I'm not really sure the world would be different today if the color mauve had never been invented. With the exception of maybe William Daniels would have one less suit hanging in his closet, right? I don't even know what color mauve is, to be honest with you. But I think things would be pretty much the same. And my point is, we're pretty good at overstating things. We're pretty good at kind of blowing things out of proportion. However, there was one event that really, truly did change the world for all time. And that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Two weeks ago, we looked at that Friday. And on Friday, Jesus' great courage got him arrested. On Friday, Jesus' great love led him to the cross. On Friday, his great heart stopped beating. And on Friday, what appeared to be such a horrible, tragic ending actually became the greatest sacrifice of all time. And then last week, we looked at Saturday, that in-between day, the day where it appeared that God was silent. Which brings us to today's lesson, Sunday. And I'm going to give you a spoiler alert for today's lesson. God's not silent on Sunday. Listen to what one Christian writer said about Sunday. 
On Sunday, a stone got rolled away. On Sunday, death lost its sting. The grave lost its victory. On Sunday, hell was defeated. Death was dethroned. Darkness was derailed. The devil was demotivated. On Sunday, the tomb was emptied and hope was fulfilled. On Sunday, faith was vindicated. The prophets were validated. The soldiers were aggravated. Disciples were animated. On Sunday, sin lost. Shame died. Hope soared. Love won. On Sunday, you got something beyond yourself to live for, something beyond your life to die for, something beyond your death to hope in after you die. Sunday is therefore the central proclamation of the greatest victory over the darkest enemy by the noblest hero for the loftiest cause in all of human history. If anything in this sorry, dark world is worthy of celebration, it's the fact that Jesus Christ is risen. I wish I'd written that. I didn't read, write that, but, but I believe that. Sunday really did change everything. Life, death, pain, hardships. Everything changed on Sunday. So let's take a look at Sunday. And I'm actually going to take us right back where Jimmy was. He sort of set the table for us this morning. Uh, I'm going to take us back to Matthew chapter 28. And I want to reread uh, that Matthew's version of that Sunday morning. After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Okay, some women go to the tomb, and yes, something happens. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He's risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. There you go. That's the event that really did change the world. And yet there's something that strikes me as a little bit odd in that narrative. Does Jesus seem a little bit understated to anybody else? I mean, these women are there. They're devastated. They go to the tomb. They loved Jesus. Jesus loved them. They walked to the tomb early on a Sunday morning. An angel talks to them. And then Jesus appeared. Jesus. These women saw Jesus crucified on a cross. They knew that His body was in a tomb. That's why they were there. And there's Jesus now standing in front of them, risen from the dead. What explanation is He going to give? What statement is he going to greet them with? What proclamation, what profound thing is Jesus going to say to these women? Well, look back at verse 9. What he says to these women is, greetings. That's it. Greetings. Now the Greek word used there is best translated, greetings. <laughs> It is a very informal term. 
It's a term that people would use all the time with each other. It'd be like us saying, hey, how's it going? You know, what's up? It's almost as if Jesus is telling these women, what did you expect? Why are you so surprised? In fact, the angel tells the women in verse 6, he's risen just as he said. Jesus' profound first words to these women is basically, here I am. I heard about a Sunday school teacher who was teaching a group of first graders and she was telling the story of the resurrection and after she read the text, she was going back and, and quizzing them to see who was paying attention. And the teacher asked the kids, what's the first thing that Jesus said when he was uh, seen risen? Little girl raised her hand, I know this, I know this, call on me, I know this. Called on the little girl and the little girl said, the first thing Jesus said when he came back from the dead was, ta-da! And you know, she's, she's not that wrong, really. Jesus didn't feel the need to say very much. Greetings. Here I am. Just like I said. Because on Sunday, everything changed. But everything didn't change in the way that most people, I think, probably expected things to change. Jesus doesn't give these women an explanation of how, or even why. But he does give them an assignment. He gives them something that he wants them to do. In fact, these women get an assignment twice. They get it once from the angel, and then they get the same assignment from Jesus. The angel tells the women in verse 6, He's not here, he's risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then... Go quickly and tell his disciples he's risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. And then Jesus tells the women to do the same thing. Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Jesus' assignment to these women is, I want you to go tell the disciples that I'm back. I want you to let them know that everything's changed. And yet again, I don't think things changed the way people expected them to change. See, from our viewpoint, 2,000 years removed, we tend to think of the resurrection you know, was a time when all tension got removed. All danger uh, got relieved. Everybody just sort of lived happily ever after following the resurrection. We sort of think of those disciples as going, okay, Jesus has re risen from the grave. Um, boy, our life just got so much easier. You know, now all our problems are over. It is smooth sailing from here on out. That wasn't the case. It's interesting. When you read the Gospel accounts, it seems like people are actually more afraid after the resurrection than they were before the resurrection. Look back at verse 8. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Kind of a strange dynamic going on, isn't it? They're afraid, but they're filled with joy. Fear and joy, those aren't two emotions that we usually experience at the same time. And then Mark's account says, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. They've just seen Jesus. But they don't say anything to anyone because they're afraid. In John's account, after the resurrection, after Jesus actually appears to his disciples, we find the disciples back in a room with the door locked. 
And we're told why they had the door locked. Because they were afraid. Okay, what's going on? I mean, Jesus is back. Why is everyone afraid? What's the deal? Well, let's think about that Sunday. A couple weeks ago, we looked at Acts chapter 5 and the account of a couple wannabe messiahs, people who claimed to be the Messiah. And we talked about what happened to them. Rome captured them, had them killed publicly and violently along with their followers. Had I been one of Jesus' disciples at that time in history, I probably would have been afraid too. I would have been afraid of Rome. I would have been afraid that maybe I was going to be next. Then suddenly, Jesus is back. Jesus is alive. And, as they say, the plot thickens. Things are about to get interesting. Jesus' message upon the resurrection wasn't, okay, all your worries and troubles are over. His message wasn't, okay, now we all go to heaven and celebrate. His message wasn't, okay, you have nothing to fear now. You have no problems in your life now. It is green grass and high tides from here on out. That wasn't his message. His message after the resurrection was, the cross didn't stick. Their attempt to stop the kingdom, it didn't work. In fact, Jesus' message was, you know everything I said about loving your enemies? still stands. You know all those things I taught you about you need to be willing to sacrifice and suffer and even die for the sake of love? That still goes. In fact, you're going to need that resolve and you're going to need that commitment now more than ever. You know, you think about it, those religious leaders of the day, um, you think they were upset before the crucifixion? Think about how they're going to feel after the resurrection. In fact, we're told that as soon as Jesus is, the, the news gets out, these religious leaders, along with Pilate, they start trying to figure out how they're going to control the media. They start figuring out how they're going to put their spin on this. They've got to get a lid on this thing, okay? They, they've got to uh, do some damage control. So they put some fake news out there. Verse 11, while the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that happened. So some of the guards go and tell these religious leaders, Jesus is back. Jesus is alive. And you would think that these religious leaders, these are people who claim to love God more than anyone, you would think that these religious leaders, when they got the news, Jesus is alive, you would think their reaction would be, wow. He really is who He said He was. He really is the Son of God. We need to find Him and we need to worship Him. But that's not their reaction. The news of Jesus' resurrection didn't change their hearts. In fact, it sort of steeled their resolve. Verse 12, When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say... His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. These are men who are desperate. These are men who are furious. 
Jerusalem is still very much a powder keg. It was just Friday, people were screaming, crucify him, crucify him. Now, pretty shortly, Jesus is going to instruct his disciples that he wants them to go into the same city and tell the people there, the cross failed. Pilate failed. Rome failed. The chief priests failed. Jesus won. Love won. Jesus is going to tell his disciples in a little bit, I'm going back to the Father, but you're going to stay here and carry on my mission. They've had to deal with me. Now they're going to have to deal with you. And to be sent into that city and tell people, you know, the crucifixion failed. Jesus is alive. And I'm on Jesus' side. That was a dangerous assignment. And those disciples knew that it was a dangerous assignment. It scares them to death. On Sunday, their lives didn't get any safer. In fact, if anything, on Sunday, their lives got more dangerous. And yet on Sunday, they discovered that there is something much more powerful than fear, much more powerful than danger, because they're filled with joy as well on Sunday. These disciples know that even though they're terrified because of Sunday, they have now a new assurance, a new power, a new hope, a new identity beyond their sinful, sorry selves. Jesus says this, speaking to Mary, Don't be afraid, or don't hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now we read that, uh, those words of Jesus and we don't think too much about it, but that is a really significant verse. Remember, the last time Jesus saw His disciples, they were running for their lives. Up until this point, at least in the Gospel of John, Jesus refers to His disciples as um, disciples, followers, friends, servants. But here, He refers to them as His brothers. And again, you think about when he saw them last, them leaving him to be arrested, them running for safety. You might think Jesus would say, go tell those losers. Go tell those cowards. Go tell those failures. But that's not what he says. He says, go tell my brothers. Something happened during that Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. They have a new identity. And obviously their identity isn't performance-based. Because let's face it, their performance was pretty bad. It's grace. It's a gift of grace. And up until now, Jesus has called God His Father. Now He's very deliberate, deliberate with His language. He says, I am returning to my Father and your Father. I am returning to my God and your God. He's never used that kind of language before. And what Jesus is saying, what He wants His brothers to know, because of Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, you now have the same kind of relationship, or at least access to that relationship of God that I have. You can have the same kind of closeness with the Father that I enjoy. Now they have this opportunity for this new identity. A lot of things happened when Jesus walked out of the tomb on Sunday. And here's something else that I think is fascinating about Sunday. 
In all four of the Gospel accounts, the task of delivering the good news of Jesus' resurrection is given to women. Now today, we don't think too much about that. But that little detail would not have only been unheard of, it would have been unthinkable in first century Palestine. In the first century, especially uh, ancient Israel, women had no legal standing whatsoever. In fact, a woman wasn't even permitted to testify in court because it was thought that her testimony couldn't be believable. I read a commentary that said, you could kill someone and a hundred women could see you do it, but if a man didn't see you do it, you wouldn't be charged with the murder. We actually see a little bit of this dynamic uh, in the Gospel of Luke. In Luke 24, Luke writes, When they, that is the women, came back from the tomb, they, the women, told all these things to the eleven, the apostles, who were all men, and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they, that is the men, did not believe the women because their words seemed, like them, seemed to them like nonsense. Can you imagine how frustrating this would have been to those women? They come back to the apostles and say, He's alive! Jesus is alive! And the apostles are like, Really? Right. Okay. You, you ladies are, are nuts. And you're talking nonsense. And you're like, the ladies like, Hey, you know, we're the ones who followed Him to the cross while you all were running and hiding. I'm telling you, you all bailed on him, but he's alive. Could you imagine, could you even imagine a group of men being dismissive and patronizing to a group of women? Apparently that kind of thing happened in the first century. I don't know. Thankfully it doesn't happen today. Shortly after this, Jesus appears to those men you know, ta-da, here I am. I would have loved to have been with those women when they first saw those men again. And the men are going, He's alive! Jesus is alive! And the women are like, Yeah, we tried to tell you that, and you wouldn't believe us. Sunday changed everything. Sunday gave people a new identity, a new intimacy with God, a new family with each other. Something worth living for. Something worth dying for. A purpose to spend their lives on. Sunday made everything so much better, even if it didn't make everything so much safer. The same goes for us as well. You remember Jesus said in Matthew 16, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever, who, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. And what Jesus is saying is, there's some stuff that you're going to have to die to. You're going to have to go through Friday to get to Sunday. There's some things that you are going to have to get rid of. This is a Friday, Saturday, Sunday story. And it's not just Jesus' story, it's their story as well. And it can be our story as well. So these early disciples, they start using this Friday, Saturday, Sunday language. They start saying things like this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I have a new story now. 
Those, part, those things in my life that were, that were selfish, that were sinful, that stuff that's all messed up, those things that make me guilty and, and ashamed, those things that separate me from a holy God, I've got I to nail that to the cross. They would call that their old life, their old nature, their old self. See, on Friday, the idea wasn't so much Jesus died so I don't have to. The idea really was Jesus died so that I can die with Him. I can be crucified with Him. Those things that separate me from God. Those things that, that I just can't seem to get over. Those habits that, I, that have such a hold on me. I can surrender those things to God. Those sins can be nailed to the cross and I can be set free. Those early disciples would say things like this. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. They're saying, I'm not who I used to be. I'm becoming something new. They say things like this. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Here's the deal. For those early Christians, Sunday meant... I don't have to be who I've always been. And I don't have to live like I've always lived. And I don't have to do what I've always done. It doesn't mean I've arrived. It doesn't mean that I'm perfect. Because that sinful self is still trying to come back to life. It just means God is doing something in my life. I am becoming something. I am, here's a word for you, I'm being transformed. Transformed because the penalty for my sin has been paid. The debt is clear. So I confess and I repent. And I ask God, God, would you help me take those old habits, those old sins, that, that old self, would you help me die to that? I don't want to be defined by that any longer. I want to be defined by Jesus Christ in His three-day story. Jesus died on a Friday. He lay in a borrowed tomb on Saturday. But on Sunday, everything changed. On Sunday, the world changed. Because on Sunday, the King returned. The King is dead. But this King is not gone. Forever. The story has not ended. There is a twist, a third act. There is a third day, and on that third day, the king will strip death of its power and extinguish the sting of Hades. This king is not defeated. This king is not. This king is the resurrection. He is the life. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. The king has returned, leaving death behind, destroying hate, inviting us all to live in his victory, in his kingdom. In his peace.
long live the king. I remind you this morning, whether you realize it or not, yours is a three-day story. Yours is a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday story. And I want you to know the King is alive. The King has risen. He is still forgiving sin. He is still healing broken hearts. He is still giving people a brand new identity. The question is, is He doing that for you? The question is, is He your King? Have you committed your life to this man? Have you said, I'll crucify my old life on the cross with Him. I'll allow Him to make me a new creation. Have you ever been baptized into Christ? Paul writes in Romans 6, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? There's that language again. We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Paul says we actually get to participate in this three-day story with Jesus. Wouldn't Resurrection Sunday be a great day to allow the blood of Jesus to wash you clean for now and forever? Or maybe this morning you're feeling like you're just really far from God. I don't know. I do know this. He's not far from you. We are eternal beings. We have endless futures. And those endless futures are determined by our relationship with God. Or maybe you're at a place in your life where at one time you had a relationship with God, but it's been a long time. And maybe you've done some things and, and maybe you've wrecked some stuff and you just feel like you're kind of floundering and drifting. In Jesus, we have a Father who says, come home. Just come home. I love you more than you'll ever know. And He proved that by sending the hope bringer the sin defeater, the death destroyer, the chain breaker. God proved His love that Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And on this day, Sunday, this Sunday, April 1st, 2018, the tomb is still empty. The King still lives. Long live the King. Let's stand and sing.